In his ministry, in the first advent, Jesus was teaching the disciples, and he took some time to talk to them about what is to come. He talked about the trials and suffering that the church would undergo. He talked about difficult days, wars, rumors of wars, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And he talked about his return. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 24. He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. In the midst of talking about difficulty, talking about the challenges that the church will face, Jesus says, but after that, I'm coming back. So keep an eye on the clouds. Now listen, it's been a while since Matthew 24. And over the last 2,000 years, the church has struggled, Christians have struggled with keeping that vision central, keeping an eye on the clouds, so to speak. Jesus said he's coming back, but it's easy to forget. It's easy to get distracted with life, the things that are going on, and frankly, it's easy to get discouraged. You know, it's also easy to let fear deter us from living faithfully right now. We might not always know it's fear that's messing with us, But every day it's a struggle. You might fear the government and fear because governors rarely rule out of sound theology and they rarely make decisions for the benefit of the church. Hasn't been an issue in our culture in in the last couple hundred years, but it continues to be an ever-present concern. You might have fear of cultural pressure in general. Will I keep my job if I go public with my faith in Jesus? How will my friends respond if I'm more articulate about my faith or if I'm living distinctly from them? How will coworkers respond? How will classmates respond? How will my professors, teachers, or neighbors respond? Maybe it's fear of family fallout that's deterring you from living faithfully. Parents shunning their children for confessing faith in Jesus. That is a thing. It happens even in our culture. Awkward holiday gatherings. Raise your hand if you've been to one of those. Okay, yeah, everybody, right? Where not everyone at that gathering is a follower of Jesus. And so it's awkward. I heard a story of a a local pastor who's dealing with um, some, a beloved couple in his church. They're in their retirement years. And they have a, uh, they have a grandchild who is in a gender transition situation and the parents the the parents have said that the grandparents may not see the child unless they commit to affirm the gender transition which they need that that child needs love that child needs care the parents need love and care but fear of family fallout could prevent us from living faithfully in other cultures not so much ours we could fear imprisonment beatings or execution. 
And just so we're clear, that's not necessarily a thing of the past. It's just not a current issue in this place on earth. It is a current issue in other places on earth right now. So there's a temptation in the midst of what we might be afraid of. And of course, there's more, right? But there's a temptation to just blend in. You know what? Our best strategy is just to keep your head down and go with the flow. And we've talked about this many times in our series through Revelation. But the fact is that there's a daily temptation for us to basically say no to Jesus and yes to the culture or yes to the family or yes to uh, the people at work or at school or whatever it might be. And so the fear might lead us to compromise and to sin, but Jesus is coming back. And because Jesus is coming back, that changes our current situation. It changes how we should respond to our current circumstances. So I don't know the details about what everybody's going through who's gathered for worship this morning. Okay, I know we all have a lot of different stuff going on. But I do know this, that if we lose sight of Jesus' return, we might be hindered in our ability to respond by faith to whatever it is you're going through. So let's see how this vision of Jesus' return in Revelation chapter 19 helps us live by faith even today. So picking it up in Revelation 19 and verse 11, we've just come off of the celebration in heaven over the judgment of Babylon and the little celebration of the coming marriage feast of the Lamb. John continues to look in this vision. He's continually shown things. And here he looks and he sees heaven open. So verse 11, then I saw heaven opened. And there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and makes war. Here, what we see in the vision, what John sees and what he relates to us, is the return of Jesus. As Jesus returns in the vision, he is presented as riding a, wide, riding a white horse. And of course, that white horse, it indicates everything a medieval fairy tale could indicate. Here's your rescuer. By the way, that's where it comes from. Does everybody understand that? that the medieval fairy tales are based on this, not the other way around, right? But here, the heroer, uh, the hero, the rescuer, the hero, he rides in on the white horse. And its rider, John says, is called Faithful and True. The CSP has those two uh, names for Jesus capitalized, but those are aspects of his character. He hasn't failed. He will fulfill his promises. Not only in that he will return, but he will return and he will reign. Notice the nature, though, of his return, right? He's called faithful and true, and with justice he judges and makes war. You know, I, over the years, I've given the Precious Moments Jesus movement a pretty a hard time. Okay, and rightly so. Okay, because it's satanic, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you, you understand? You know, precious moments, Jesus. The really like you know, precious moment. You can you, you listen. You may have bought it in years past. There's time to repent. Here's the deal. Um, the precious moments, Jesus, is lovable, and it's snuggly, and it's soft, and you know, it's like I mean, not literally soft, but you know, it's like it's 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 so gentle. And of course, Jesus is gentle and he is lovable. But on this day, the day of his return, he comes riding his horse. He comes to judge and to make war. Our culture loves the idea of a soft, cuddly, disnified, precious moments Jesus. What they're not so cool on is Jesus riding in on a horse to get it done. And so this vision of Jesus' return emphasizes this aspect of his character because the church needs to know now what is coming then. 
It equips us now. So he comes on the white horse, yes, and he is faithful and true. Maybe there's that lingering issue all the way back from the beginning of Revelation. How long, O Lord, until you make these wrongs right? How long until the the blood of the saints is avenged? How long? And so we've read about the judgment of Babylon, but specifically here, we get this glimpse of how it all happens. And it happens with Jesus returning, and he comes to make war on those who stand against him. It's pure judgment. Verse 12, his eyes were like fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. So the fiery flame deal with his eyes. He sees accurately, but as he sees with judgment, his judgment is pure. So like there's no escaping his vision. Nothing escapes his vision. And man, that vision, it sees right to the core. He knows exactly who is right and who is wrong. He knows exactly whose are his and who belongs to the beast and to the dragon. So man, his eyes are like a fiery flame. Many crowns are on his head. Why? Because all authority is his. When Jesus rides into town, there's no question who the sheriff is. He's the boss. The thrones are his. The crowns are his. And he had a name written in verse 12. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. The idea here with naming, you got to remember this in an ancient Near Eastern and a first century uh, Roman context, but to know someone's name intimately is to have some kind of relationship to them and maybe even have authority over them. To give a name, you give a name when you have authority over someone. Well, Jesus has a given name that we don't know because we do not have authority over him. No created being has authority over Jesus. Now, this name may be revealed in this, in this section of scripture, so we're going to talk about that in a minute. But either way, the fact is when Jesus comes to town, he comes as the one with authority. Watch verse 13. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Two concepts here, right, in the vision. First of all, he wears a robe dipped in blood. Some commentators think that the robe dipped in blood is a reference to the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that it's his blood that's, that's on the robe. And the idea is just as a reminder of the fact that he gave himself for the rescue of the church. Listen, it is absolutely true that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he did shed his blood as we remember this morning in the Lord's Supper. But probably what's more in focus here is his robe is dipped or, or covered a little bit in blood because he came making war. Because, because it's, in this context, it's not so much his blood, it's the blood of his enemies. The idea is, I, I, I haven't seen a precious Jesus, a precious moments Jesus with this, like, blood-covered robe on him. Because it's uncomfortable. Because we don't want to talk about Jesus coming to make war with unbelievers. We don't want to talk about Jesus coming to make wrongs right, and that means settling debts. And it means shedding blood. Now, he's not just coming in war, but he's coming because he's the word of God. Which, the title word of God, it should immediately bring to mind John chapter 1, where we find out the eternality of the word, that the word is the second person of the Trinity, that the word has always existed because the word is God. That the word is the agent of creation, that nothing would exist without the word creating and sustaining the universe. And so we have that that recognition there. But also we find out that the word of God actually is faithful to do what God has said he would do. And so here there's probably an emphasis on the fact that the word of God is fulfilling the word of God. That Jesus, as the word made flesh, right, he comes to answer 
for all those deaths that shouldn't have happened, for all the wrong that has been done. He comes to be faithful to his promises. Now, is that name the secret hidden name? We, we don't know. Maybe. There's another option at the end of the paragraph, so we'll find out. Notice that he doesn't come alone in verse 14. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. This is awesome. It, it's not just one white horse. It's a whole army of white horses. Right? So you can imagine, you know, scenes that you've read about in, you know, Lord of the Rings or you saw in the movies or whatever. We have this, the army of the, the uh, you know, the, the, the cavalry charging in with all these horses, but they're all white and they're all shining and they're all wearing this bright white linen. Now, who's the army? Well, because they're wearing pure white linen, the most likely option is that these are deceased saints who have returned with the Lord. They've come with them from heaven and they came riding horses ready to do battle. The pure white linen, of course, is theirs because of Jesus' shed blood on their behalf. So Jesus comes with the saints to make war and to settle the score. Just in case we missed it, verse 15, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. There's so much Old Testament in this verse. It's just hard to unpack, but just work with me. Isaiah chapter 11, the, 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 the sword, the rod that comes from his mouth, means that his judgment, what he says, the verdict, right? That verdict is absolutely true. It cuts right to the heart of the issue. His judgment judges the nations, And so here, yes, he's conquering the nations with his church, but that means that he is also judging the nations. He will rule over the nations with the iron rod. That's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. He'll trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God. And that winepress imagery is included in several prophetic passages in the Old Testament. The idea is this. Jesus comes to set it all right. That means making war. That means judging the nations. That means rendering the verdict, guilty or not guilty. Jesus comes to get this work done. Jesus is coming back. And when he judges, he judges with the righteous, pure judgment of God. His anger is righteous anger. And he has a name, verse 16, that's written on his robe and on the, the long part of the robe over his thigh. What's his name? King of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe that was the secret name. Or maybe not. It doesn't really matter. The point is, the name here, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, emphasizes Jesus' absolute authority over the universe. There is no higher authority. Okay, that's cool. What's next? (laughs) Isn't that sometimes how we think about these passages of Scripture? We read it. It's really interesting. It's powerful. It's significant. Wow, look at that. It's so interesting. It's, oh, wow, yeah, I, didn't, I never thought of Jesus like that. Yeah, I, I never did see a, a precious moments Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. Like, that one's not, okay, what's next, right? Don't miss the point that this vision is given to the church in the first century and to us to help us navigate life today. So here's the big idea. Jesus is coming back. Don't miss it. But Jesus is coming back, therefore we should respond in certain ways. The first way we need to respond is to be patient. Jesus is coming back, be patient. 
The emphasis here on the character of Jesus is meant to encourage us when we might wonder, is he actually coming back? Is he faithful? Is he true? Will his word come to pass? Will wrongs be made right? So there's an impatience that gets built up in us. And listen, we, I could have, we could have preached this message 50 years ago. It would have been true. But today, in the day of instant streaming, right? Downloading everything from space immediately right now, like that day, the day when I put my order in at Chick-fil-A on my phone and I expect them to be standing out there, like greeting me at the curb. Hi, Mr. Boys. I know what car you drive. I know your social security number. Here's your, here's your Chick-fil-A order, right? Like that's, we'll write that down. We need to work on that. Anyway, like, so like, like that's, that's the world we live in. Immediate instant gratification, but it's been 2000 years. And so we need to be reminded, Jesus is coming back. Be patient. He's faithful and he's true. He is coming in pure judgment to make wrongs right. But we might be impatient. You might get impatient because of trials that you're facing. You see, the return of Jesus, it matters for all Christians and it matters today. We need to be patient Because Jesus is coming back, and we need to be patient when we suffer. You will suffer. Financially, physically, relationally, whatever it is. And when you suffer, you will want it to be over. And that's not even inherently wrong, but the fact is, when we suffer and we want it to be over, we may grow impatient with the Lord. And so when we suffer, we need to remember Jesus is coming back. And so I can can be patient today. We need to be patient when we are confused and we don't know what to do. and We're not totally clear on how this is all going to work out. There are so many circumstances in our lives that are confusing and we genuinely wonder what should we do. But when we face those circumstances, don't get impatient. He's coming on his white horse. So trust him. We need to be patient when we're hurting. When we've been wounded by a friend or a family member, when Someone's sin has impacted us. And maybe they don't even realize how much it hurts. But we need to be patient. Because Jesus is coming to make wrongs right. And we certainly need to be patient when we're persecuted and when we're powerless. The culture turns against us. If you lose your job, if you lose friends, if there's family fallout because of your faith, whatever it might be, well, Jesus is coming back. So we can be patient and we can endure. The return of Jesus matters for all of us. Now, there is a reading of this part of Scripture that I think actually misses the point pretty dramatically. Uh, There is a viewpoint that says uh, it's called post-millennialism, and it says that the church's job is to improve the earth until Jesus returns. Okay, And some of that is true. The the church does exist to make the earth um, uh, better until the return of Christ. But there's a question as to how this works out in the end. The trouble is that some have read this passage and they've said, you know what? This actually refers to the church now. And Jesus has already returned on his white horse through the church. And we are kind of reigning as the church grows. We are reigning on earth and ruling over the nations on his behalf. And I think the danger in that view, I think that view misses, misses it in three ways. First of all, I think it misses the fact that the whole point of Revelation is to prepare the church to, to walk by faith through trials. So the, the preparation is not necessarily to reign. The preparation here is to suffer well and to be patient and to, and to walk by faith. 
the second thing is it really misses the connection of chapter 19 to chapter 20, and we're going to talk about that more next week. But the fact is that this, this picture of Jesus returning in judgment leads into then the judgment of Satan and the kind of the, the conclusion of it all. But maybe thirdly and most importantly, this viewpoint, I think, misses the fact that we live in a very unjust world. And the hope that we have is not that we can make it better, even as the church. The hope is not that we can make it better, it's that one day Jesus will. And so that's, that's the basis of our faith. It's not we can improve things. And again, we're called to do, our, to do our best, to trust the Lord where we are. But our job is not to fix it all. Our job is to, is to look for him and to be faithful in the small moment. So when this talks about Jesus returning, this hasn't happened yet. I think we can be very confident in that. He is coming back. So be patient. Now back to the point here of this first section, we should be, be patient because of Jesus's character. He is faithful and true. Listen, I can't tell you how many times people will let you down because we're not always faithful and true. Sometimes we forget things. Sometimes we, we change priorities. Sometimes we get selfish and we do things that are dumb. We may let you down. I may let you down. Jesus never will. He's coming back. Be patient because of Jesus' authority. The crowns, the many crowns, the titles, the whole thing, right? King of kings, Lord over all lords. The point is, he's the boss and he's coming. Have you ever been in a situation where you had like a connection to a higher up in a company and it helped you like resolve a conflict? One time my mom had an issue back when Continental Airlines was a, was a thing. She had an issue on a flight or something and somehow, and, and man, God have mercy on this guy, but she got the email of the CEO of Continental airlines and she emailed him my mother okay and i was like and let's just say the problem was resolved <laughs> right because she knew a guy <laughs> right that was how it happened you see jesus is coming back and he's coming with authority we all know a guy no we all know the guy And so, yes, in the meantime, we may have to endure injustice. We may have to endure suffering and hard times. But Jesus is coming back so we can be patient. Because when it's all said and done, we will be in an eternal relationship to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Be patient because because Jesus is the word of God. He created it all. Be patient because Jesus will judge the wicked. We've got to have the long view here, right? The long view. He is coming back. But that coming will not be a happy day for many. Watch verse 17. Then I saw an angel, John writes, standing in the sun. And he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Here we have a summons by an angel to the birds. It's the invitation to the other feast. We talked last week about the marriage feast of the Lamb, and that's celebrated in heaven, and we'll see that actually come to pass in chapter 21. But in the meantime, there's another feast that's going to happen. It's the less known feast, the less talked about feast, because it's disgusting. But the angel says to the birds, gather together, birds, 
Everybody gather together because there is going to be a battle. There are going to be dead bodies upon dead bodies for you to feast on. Hey, bird, have you ever wanted to eat the flesh of a king? Come on. Hey, bird, have you ever wanted to eat the flesh of a CEO? Come on. Hey, bird, are you hungry? Come on. Feast. The feast is coming. Why? Because Jesus is coming to judge the world. The picture here, well, it's sobering. Because the fact is that there will be many people upon the return of Christ who won't be happy. They'll be frustrated because the king of kings has come to be their king and they don't want him. It is is a harsh reality, but it is an important reality for the church to know because it reminds us in several ways of the urgency of faith. I would say it this way for you. Jesus is coming back. Yes, be patient, but also be warned. Be patient and be warned. There are going to be two feasts. And at the one feast, you can order off the menu, I'm pretty sure, shrimp wrapped in bacon. I have it on good authority, right? It's going to be great. The wedding feast of the lamb. I know that's on the menu. It's got to be. At one feast, you'll order off the menu. At the other feast, you're on the menu. It's a warning. It's a warning. And for those who do not believe, who have not trusted in Jesus, be warned. Be warned that your ultimate end, standing in rebellion against God, is judgment. Be warned if you think there is no God. Be warned if you grew up in the church, but you've decided you know better. Be warned if you think all roads lead to heaven. They don't. Even in the midst of this vision in this gruesome scene, which is it's tough, right? But even in the midst of this vision, you can almost hear in John writing this and just recording it for the benefit of the church, but we're not there yet. So there's still time for you to repent. There's still time for you to turn And to trust in this one who is faithful and true. To trust in this one who is the word of God. To trust in the one and submit to the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. To repent of your sin. To put your faith in him. He died for you. He conquered death and rose for you. Why would you say no to him? Well, there are many reasons we convince ourselves to say no. But if you're an unbeliever this morning and you're hearing this message... Be warned. You don't want to be on the menu on this day. And as long as it's called today, there's an opportunity for you to repent. For those who believe, we also need to be warned. And this is probably more the focus here in the vision. The idea is that as we're navigating time in between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return, and as we face the temptation to just kind of blend in with the culture and, and compromise and participate in sin so we don't get noticed and all the rest, right? There's a warning here. Don't go that way. Be warned if you, if you love money or career or entertainment or sex or alcohol or whatever it is more than Jesus. Be warned if the only evidence of your faith was a prayer that you prayed 20, 30, 40 years ago. Be warned if your Christianity is cultural or political, but it's not personal. 
where you like the culture of Christianity and the conservative politics of Christianity, but you don't really care to have Jesus be king over your life. Another way of saying that is be warned if you only follow Jesus on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. You remember in Matthew 7, Jesus gave a caution to some pretty religious people. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a warning here. Which feast will you be a part of is the question. Jesus is coming back. Be patient and be warned. When he comes back, make no mistake, it's not just to make war, it's to win the war. He's coming back triumphantly. Watch verse 19. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. Okay, if you just pause here, the scene is set. Jesus has returned, white horse, he's got his army from heaven, I think probably saints, there they are with him, ready to do war. So who has he come to do war with? Well, you might remember from the previous section in Revelation, especially chapters 13 and 14, we were introduced to the unholy trinity. Remember, we have Satan who is the dragon, and remember the, the dragon calls forth the sea beast, right? And the beast was worshipped. And then he calls forth a land beast who we later find out that's the false prophet who is the PR guy for the sea beast. And so we have the dragon and the two beasts or the dragon and the sea beast and the, the prophet. And they are the unholy trinity and they exist to thwart the church. They're trying to harm the church to prevent people from coming to faith in Jesus and to derail Christians and to mess us up and to, to stop the progress of God's kingdom. And so that's the reality. And, and this is happening it was happening 2,000 years ago, and it's happening today. That, that opposition to, to Jesus and his mission is, is a, a work of the unholy trinity, right? So who does he come to do war with? Well, this morning in chapter 19, we get two out of the three. The, the sea beast, the beast, and the false prophet. Watch what happens. So I saw the beast, verse 19, the kings of the earth, their armies all gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. So, we, the scene's clear. We have two armies. But there's only one victor. And the fact is, apparently it wasn't even much of a fight. Because we don't get any drama. There's no like last minute rescue or something else. It's just, no, Jesus came and he won. That's the message. Now, specifically, there's focus on the beast being taken captive and being thrown in the lake of fire and the false prophet being taken captive and thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to return to the lake of fire in future weeks, but that is the eternal end of all those who oppose God. Right? That's, that's the place of judgment. And so the, the idea is they lose. Now, the crazy thing is, in the first century in the Roman Empire, it didn't seem like the beast was losing. And I think we could say that today. I think we could say today, in our culture, on, in 2022, it doesn't seem like the beast is losing. 
It seems like the beast and the false prophet are doing a pretty good job. The false prophet's job is to deceive people into worshiping the beast, which is ultimately worship of the dragon, Satan. It's a satanic agenda, but it's sanitized. It looks clean. It's popular. People want to do it. That's the false prophet's job is to convince people of that. And so here, the image is, yes, that sounds good and everybody's buying it, but make no mistake, when Jesus returns, he comes to make war with everything that is evil and he will deal with it to the very top. The beast is going down. The false prophet's going down. Jesus is coming back. And so the calling for us is to be, yes, be patient and be warned, but it's also be vigilant. Be vigilant. The focus here on the deception of the false prophet and the false signs and all that, it's just a reminder to the church. He's trying to trick you right now. He's trying to deceive you right now. There is no moment prior to the return of Jesus where we can just sit back and relax and say, well, we're safe. There's no threat to me here. I can just do whatever. I can believe whatever I read. I can just go with the flow, right? But prior to the return of Jesus, we can never, we can never take off our spiritual discernment setting. We, we, can't, we, we cannot afford to be lazy spiritually or to be complacent. Jesus is coming back. Be vigilant. That's why there's a focus on the beast and the prophet. And just so we're clear, just spoiler alert, Satan's going into the same lake of fire. Okay, that's how, that we're going to get to that in chapter 20. So it's just a little deferred judgment there on Satan. But two-thirds of the victory is won here. And of course, all those who worship the beast and sided with the beast and gathered for, for war, of course, they're on the menu at the Feast of the Birds. The urging to the church is to be vigilant. It's not a mistake that in other places in the Bible where the second coming of Jesus is talked about, there's a focus on vigilance. You can think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and in that section, there's again a focus on the return of Christ, but the Apostle Paul there just cautions believers. He says, listen, it's darkness and everybody else is asleep and they're drunk. He says, but let us not sleep. Let us stay awake. You got to stay awake because we're in the middle of the battle right now. We're, we're, we're tempted to just go with the flow and, and side with whoever. But man, you've got to stay vigilant spiritually. Because yes, the beast will be defeated. And, and yes, the false prophet is going down. But we're not there yet. So we've got to be discerning, right? Jesus is coming back. Be vigilant. How? Let me just give you a couple ways. There are many others. But first of all, be vigilant by being honest about your weak spots. Military strategy, 101. You got to know where you're vulnerable. You got to know where you're vulnerable. And I think sometimes, maybe it's just out of a a desire to avoid having to do the tough work of spiritual growth, but sometimes we just don't, we just, we're just not willing to take the time to say, I'm struggling here. This is where I'm weak. This is where I'm most likely going to make a stupid decision, a sinful decision, right? But if you're going to be vigilant, you got to be honest about your weak spots, you know, the blood of Jesus, because it covers our sin, it's okay. We can admit where we struggle, where we might fail. Be vigilant also by being aware of your surroundings. You, you just gotta, you gotta read the culture. You can't just consume media, entertainment, news, whatever. You've gotta be critical of it. And praise, the God, uh, praise God that he has, he has given us in, in church history 
um, excellent examples of this. People who read well, who discerned well the situation in a culture and were able to, to critique the culture and push back and say, no, that's not how a Christian would view that, right? So my challenge to you here is just don't just be a consumer. You got to read critically. You got to listen critically, Okay, and sometimes because of what's in the content, we just say no, absolutely. And sometimes we can say, okay, I can listen to that, or I can watch that, but I need to be critical about what's the message here, what's the what's the big idea, what's the worldview that's being presented. And if you don't think there's an agenda in entertainment and the news that we consume, and I, you you just got to know there is. It doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're talking about. It, there's there's always an agenda. You just got to discern. You got to learn to be aware of your surroundings. Third, be vigilant by valuing the church. Be vigilant by valuing the church. One of the blessings of the church in community with each other is we help keep each other sharp. We support each other. We're not all good at all the same things by God's design. We need each other's help to be strong. Some of us are going to need encouragement and God sends encouragers. Some of us will need confrontation and so God will send people to bring the word of God into their lives and counselors. Some of us, we're going, to, we're going to be tired or weak or worn out. We're going to need to be lifted up. We're going to need needs met and God is going to provide those how? Through the church. So we can be vigilant by valuing the church. I guarantee you, when you isolate from the church, when you don't prioritize the gathering of the church, when you're not invested in relationships in the church, when you're not submitting to the authority of the church, you are setting yourself up to be isolate, well, to be basically harmed by the, the beast and the prophet. Because what do they, what do, they do? Just like a, an animal hunting with a, with a, a lion hunting zebras, right, in the, in the safari, what are they going to do? They're going to look for the ones that are alone, ones that are isolated from the rest of the group, right? That's what Satan wants to do to you, separate you from the church. Fourth, be vigilant by asking for help. Be vigilant by asking for help. It, it's just always so interesting to me that as we gather for worship, we all are tempted, right? We all are tempted to put forward like our best, you know, like this, this best version of ourselves, like this illusion, like, oh yeah, like I'm doing really great and I don't really struggle, right? But the fact that you're in a church means theologically, we all know we all struggle, like, if you're singing these songs that we sing, that, that Pastor Jesse picks for us, they all, at some point or another, we get to the confession that, hey, we're struggling, right? So if you're here and you're singing, I got bad news for you. You just admitted to everybody that you are struggling, right? Oh, we, we struggle. But sometimes we just get this idea, and maybe it's satanic, that we pretend that we don't need help. But we all need help. And it's a, it's a blessing of the church to provide that, but you can stay vigilant by being willing to ask for help where you need it. None of us are bulletproof. None of us are strong enough to walk this walk by ourselves. That's not how God designed it to work. At the end of the day, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back in victory. So the question is, will we be patient? Will we be warned? Will we be vigilant? You might think there's another question. Jesus is coming back. When? I'm so glad you're here and you asked. We're not the first to ask that question, are we? If a pastor or church tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, run far away very quickly. The disciples asked Jesus. They asked Jesus after his resurrection. Jesus, when? When are you going to like, when is it? When is the horse? Like, when is it going down? When is it going to happen? 
Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Can we all just breathe a sigh of relief? It's okay, we don't have to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, Jesus said. And after he had said this, He was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into the the heavens, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Jesus is coming back. So be patient, be warned, and be vigilant. I know for many of us, we're, we're struggling right now, maybe discouraged, maybe going through very difficult times, but it's not new. This same hope has sustained the church in years past. And I know I always tell you about my friends, but my friend John Owen, back in the 1600s in England, he lived in a very difficult time. He endured significant loss. And I know I've told you before, but just to remind you, he lost his career. He had friends that were executed and their heads were put on spikes around London for years. So every time he walked in and out of town, he would see the heads of his friends who had been killed uh, and, and martyred for their faith, just to remind him to keep in line, that kind of a thing, right? He lost his whole career. He thought he was going to, you know, he was in, in acad- academia and he was going to be this, you know, doctor of theology and professor and all of that. And all that was gone. He lost it all. But listen to what he says when he was thinking about the return of Jesus. He says, But here is the faith and patience of the church and of all sincere believers. In the midst of all discouragements, reproaches, temptations, sufferings. They can relieve and comfort their souls with this, that their Redeemer lives, and that he will appear again the second time in his appointed season. Here is their continual prayer as the fruit and expression of their faith. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I don't know if you're discouraged this morning, if you've been reproached, if, you're, have been, if you've been tempted, if, if you're suffering in a particular way, but I do know this, no matter which category you fall in, Jesus is coming back. So brothers and sisters, let's be patient, let's be warned, and let's be vigilant. Would you pray with me, please, and we'll ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for this passage in Revelation chapter 19, this beautiful picture, Lord an important picture and maybe even an uncomfortable picture of your return. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promise that you will return and we ask that you would come quickly. Lord, help us to trust you in the meantime as we face the difficulties of living in exile, of living in Babylon for the moment. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be patient, to remember your character, that you are faithful and true, that you will render all wrongs right, that justice will be done. Lord, I pray especially for those who are here who have suffered because of the sin of others. They are truly victims, Lord. And I pray that they would look to your return with confidence and with hope and that it would give them assurance that whatever happened with the courts on this earth, Lord, that you will set it right. Lord, we thank you that you do have all authority. You are the king over all kings and therefore we can be confident in your reign. And Lord, 
we ask that you would help us to live by faith even now as we look forward to this day. In the midst of discouragement, of suffering, and Lord, certainly in the midst of temptation, help us to say no. Help us to see through the schemes of Satan, through the beast and the false prophet, Lord, and help us to remember that that is a losing side. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would grow your kingdom, that even this day, if there are those who have not trusted in you, that they would see the error of their way. They would repent. They would put their faith in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be patient as we look to you. Help us to be warned. And Lord, help us to be vigilant, to live for your glory even now. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus, the word of God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.